right, we're gonna, oh, let's, let's, let's kind of go, go give, give, give a little round of applause just to go, okay. This, this is the way, is our series that we are walking into. And the reason that we're, we're, we're looking at this focus is uh, the very first people who followed Jesus after his resurrection, when they could self-declare who they were, they called themselves the way. Uh, Jesus said he was the way, the truth of life, and they kind of, they, they liked calling themselves the way. It was other people who started calling them Christians, and then they received that as their, as a definitive term. Well, we're going to walk into a passage of Scripture. Our key passage is really a genealogical chart, and uh, we're going to look at Jesus's genealogy all in all. Now, how many of you have ever done genealogical work? Can you just raise a hand? I'm kind of curious if some of you have done that. All right, so I, I did that for my Manus family, and boy, you start diving in, shaking that. There's a bunch of fruits and nuts that start falling off of there, don't they? Those of you who've done that work. So I don't know if I always recommend it. Well, once I did that, I thought it would be interesting to uh, look at my wife's family, the Van Cleef family. Oh, the nuts and fruits that shook out of that tree, uh, even more so, uh, even, even more. And we'll, we'll, we'll hit a little bit of that. But when it comes to God's family, you know, you would think that God's family would have it all put together. Oh, my word. The people that were part of the family of God that, that made up the nation of Israel— well, this was our key verse, verses from last week. We're just going to touch on this real quick. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. All righty then, and he does that. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And we really dig that. Yeah! Bless us, God. That's great stuff. Make us great. And then it says, I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'm uh, sorry. I'll bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people, there's a little transition. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The blessing that God desires to give, the dreams that God has placed on your heart are so incredibly significant. I just, I just want you to own those things right now. If God has given you hopes and dreams and plans that, that you own that. But know this, it's not about everybody saying you're great. It's about the fact that God wants to rescue many lives. That God is on this rescue project and, and it's about saving many lives. And God will uplift you and God will exalt you. But he wants you to be on the pathway to assist and covenant with him in the saving of many lives. Well, genealogical work uh, that is fascinating. And Terry's family is more fascinating than my family happens to be. So I'm going to tell you a couple little things uh, about her family. Well, she, her family was one of five. Uh, they, they got over here in the 1600s. I mean, way, way, way back. Uh, and they were one of five main families that helped blaze the Appalachian Trail with the Daniel Boone family. So it was Boones and Van Cleves and a few others that they traipsed into Kentucky. Well, it was at that time that the Revolutionary War was taking place. So while the Revolutionary War seemingly is taking place on the eastern seaboard, there are still battles that are taking place in the Kentucky frontier. So British soldiers would gather together, uh, allies, and they would come, and they would, they would fight the, the children and the women. They would just fight one another out there. And 
there's, they, so they were in several, several battles, and one of them happens to be known as the Long Run Creek Massacre. So on a certain birthday, I give to Terry this, this little picture that describes our little family trip. And on it, she sees this sign. And she's looking at this sign and, and says, well, uh, are we going to Massachusetts? And she, and she looked at that sign. And it, it, it said, no, no, honey, we're going to the massacre. We're going to the, we're going to the massacre just outside of, guys, I don't recommend that as a strong go-to for the birthday gift to take you back to the place where your descendants experienced that kind of situation. Well, here's what went down at that. So there was a group of them that were traveling from one settlement to another settlement and British troops and allies, you know, came at them. Well, you know, there was an individual named Big John Van Cleef. And Big John Van Cleef was 12 years old. He was described as a portly little boy, not fleet of foot. And while the bullets were flying, uh, they couldn't find Big John after this all took place. He didn't, not from the fort he came from, not the fort they were supposed to go. And they found the next day that he had been hiding in a stump all night long. So they thought he was lost and he was gone. And that is Terry's direct great, 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 great grandfather. The fact that Big John jumped in a stump my wife is here today, and, and I find that utterly just fascinating. One of the individuals that found Big John, who'd spent the night in the stump, avoiding, you know, anybody else who might have been out there, it was Abraham Lincoln. Now, not Abraham Lincoln, President of the United States, but his grandpa was named Abraham Lincoln. Abe Lincoln's grandpa helped find Big John. Uh, this was just Fascinating, just, just messy, 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 fascinating stories. On, on one occasion, the Van Cleve women were women of great renown. That there was this moment where they were surrounded, the fort was surrounded, but the people inside the fort didn't think that the folks outside knew that it was surrounded and they needed to get water. Well, there's a certain time of day and the women would get water and they didn't. The guy said, well, we don't want anybody to know something's up. So they sent the women out to get water again. There's about, about five Van Cleve women, about 15 other women. They went and drew water while the enemy was surrounding the fort with their weapons ready. But they thought, oh, oh the guys go, yeah, yeah, they, they probably aren't gonna bug you because they don't wanna give up their position. And they all, the gals drew water and they came back inside the fort. It was okay, but it's like, you gotta be kidding me that this is going on. Well, the Long Run Creek Massacre is uh, played out, is reenacted. Uh, there are crowds that gather the third Saturday of every, of every September, third Saturday of every September outside of uh, Shelbyville, Louisville, Kentucky. And someday we're gonna go. We're gonna get shirts made up that says, run Big John, run, something like that. We're gonna be Big John fans in that moment. Whoever that little kid, whoa, we made it. But just so much messiness in the family genealogy. We're going to launch with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, which is the opening genealogy of the life of Jesus. So this is the genealogy. And that word, the Greek word is genos, genesis. This is the genesis of Jesus. This is the beginnings of Jesus. These are the origins of Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the king. And this is real. The gospel of Matthew is written to a very Hebrew, Israelite kind of audience. So as, as this, th these very first words, they're landing really thick on the Israelite mind. Uh, 
son of David, son of Abraham. This is the Messiah. So in the genealogy that we get, it's nicely broken up into three sections of 14. So here's the divisions. From Abraham, father of the nation of Israel, to King David. From King David to the exile period. From the exile period to the person of Jesus. So three clumpings, 14 different generations mentioned, a total of 42 different people. And you're, you're seeing about half of it that's, that's listed right here. We're not going to read through all of it. But you notice that there are some underlying portions. 42 different generations are mentioned. And it's a very patriarchal list. It's a bunch of guys, four matriarchs, four incredible women. And at first look, it's like, well, why, why are we listing those particular women. What is going on with them? What can we learn? The first is this. They're all not from around these parts. They were non-Israelites. Matthew's pointing out something incredibly significant. That being part, participating, is being part of the family of God. See, the Israelite people would have thought it, would, it had to be like this direct bloodline thing. And pointing out that the anointed one, the Messiah, even has people that are from outside these parts. But they were incredibly instrumental in keeping in the covenant relationship in the land of Israel. So let's just walk through those four. So Tamar, she's a Canaanite. Her story pops up in Genesis chapter 38. And then Rahab, also Canaanite. She pops up in Joshua 2. Uh, Ruth, a Moabite. Uh, Canaanites are the sea people. They just kind of show up, and they're a really rascally kind of folk. Worship the Baals and the Asherah poles. And I mean, you talk about NASA. Child sacrifice was part of their cultural stuff. They were just bad, horrid news. Now, the Moabites uh, descended from Lot, uh, one of Abraham's uh, nephews, and, and Moab was one of Lot's sons, and so they were kind, kind of sort of kinfolk, but they were always your, ah, they, they were kind of sideways, always, and uh, with Israel. And then you get Bathsheba, who was married to Uriah the Hittite, and that is a descendant when you go all the way back to Noah from Ham, and Ham was the one who was like, yeah, he's the, he's the bad, he's the bad, see, that's the bad son right there. Uh, this is a rescue story that is going to include, uh, how many of you ever heard of the devotional Bad Girls of the Bible? I, I it looked like, you guys like, there you go. There's, there's a few hands. It goes back always. This is, these, these individuals, these gals, they're the frontliners for the bad girls of the Bible. And there's something that we can learn from them. Kind of scandalous a little bit in how they found their way into the family of God. So Tamar was married to one of Judah's Sons, Judah, the main big time tribe of Israel. And this son passes away. Now, in those cultures, if, if, uh, if a man passes away who is married, the family's supposed to somehow supply another man. That, that's just how it goes. You got, you got to get another man because that's how, that's how people are cared for and protected in, in the line of family. And Judah just went, nah, not going to do that. Nah, we're not doing that. Not going to do that. And so she 
got tired of not being included in the family. So she seduces Judah on one given night, and she winds up carrying his child. She wind up getting a hold of his uh, walking stick and his watering jug just to prove that he was the guy on that given night. He's like, oh my stars. This is just, this is stuff that's, that's, that's made for me that you just don't always pull out in Scripture. Let's like, teach on Genesis chapter 38. You often kind of skip over that and move it. It's this story that's there. But she is part of the family family line. And Judah was supposed to provide, and he didn't, but she stepped in and said, no, I'm, I'm going to be part of this family. And she's a Canaanite. Likewise, a Canaanite is Rahab. And Rahab shows up in Joshua chapter 2. Now, Joshua is leading the nation of Israel this time. This is when they're supposed to go in and take over Jericho and begin to possess the promised land. Uh, the Canaanites, wild, wicked people that God is showing judgment upon She's an innkeeper, an innkeeper with benefits. You know, she kind of runs a business, but you don't necessarily know what, you know, it might just be a place to stay for the night, but there might be a little extra something going on. It's like, well, you know, what kind of, what kind of package do you want here? That's kind of how that, that rolled out. And she protects two spies that were sent by the Israelite people, and she sent those who, you know, the she sent the authorities away. She sends them out through her home, which is part of the wall, on a scarlet rope, and, and they get out, and they make this deal that she will be rescued. She will be part of the family of God. Anybody in her household is going to be part of the family of Israel, and uh, that's the sign where that rope is going to be, that scarlet rope, and she is included in the lineage of the Messiah, the anointed one. Uh, faithful, incredibly faithful to the nation of Israel. Ruth, one of my favorite books of the Bible, four chapters, is from Moab. And she marries an Israelite guy who, you know, he kicks the bucket and he passes away. Her mother-in-law, her husband, like all the guys pass away in this story. And now Naomi's going to go back to her homeland. And Ruth, it would seem it would just be better for her if she just stuck around in Moab. There would be more opportunity for her. But they have this incredible moment outside of the town. Which, which path are you going to choose? And Ruth says this, Naomi, wherever you go, I will go. And your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And that girl, she went to Israel. Now, she goes and she starts working and gleaning in the fields of an individual named Boab who's kind of a distant relative to Naomi. And, and, and Ruth is incredible. And Boaz kind of takes a shine to her, but Ruth has this, well, you know, let's, let's, let's make this thing. Let, let, let me make my intentions known. So she goes to Boaz on this night, and there's some mystery involved with what's going on there. And basically, Boaz, when, when she leaves, she goes, Boaz says, yeah, don't let anybody know you're here. But I'm going I'm to get, get us hitched. I'm going I'm to figure this thing out. And Ruth winds up being like Meemaw to King David. It's, it's really it's really amazing. And there's Bathsheba, who is married to Uriah the Hittite. He's from elsewhere, but he's really been brought in and has a role esteemed in the nation of Israel. And Bathsheba has this moment with King David, and they would later get married. And there's a time when Bathsheba has to advocate for her son Solomon to be king. As David's last months are on, <clears throat> he gets a little, how would you say, um, inconsistent in regards to some of his thoughts and what he's doing. Yeah, this, this son could be, yeah, what, so it gets a little fuzzy who's to be king. And Bathsheba says, it's Solomon. 
Your son and my son Solomon are supposed to be king. That's right, it's Solomon. So David makes that proclamation and Bathsheba is deeply part of it. So there is this great intentionality by people who are outside of the family of God to participate and be included and even kind of rescue what the family of God looks like. The human family is fractured. We disagree and we argue and we're broken. God came to restore. And so he establishes one family, remember Abraham, who's going to be a blessing to all the families, but that family kind of fractures as well. But God isn't done, and God's still working. It's, it's a messy situation. So thinking about moms, my mom always taught me, this was how she was trying to get me to be not messy. She said, well, Jimmy, at least you can make your bed. You know, whatever else this pigsty looks like, at least you can make your bed. And so when I was young, it just got ingrained in me, and I always make my bed to this day. Uh, so Friday, I was kind of thinking about reflecting on this message. I went home, and I thought, I wonder how the bedrooms look in our place. And I've got a teenage son, and uh, his bedroom was like spotless two days ago. It was amazing. And then I opened the door on Friday afternoon, and this is what the teenage son bedroom looks like. And it looked pretty typical. It looked pretty typical. That's, but I thought, but two days ago, it never looked better. Oh my goodness. It, it was kind of messy. Uh, do you have any rooms like, you don't have to raise your hands. Uh, I've, got, I've got a really put together college daughter who just got home. Well, what, what, is, what does her room look like? So I went to her room and my put together college daughter's room looks like this. So there's a lot of stuff from God. We haven't really totally unpacked yet. We're in transition. There's a lot of things. You ever, you ever have to deal with people who have a lot of things yet to unpack? You know, uh, it's messy because they have some things to unpack. And then I thought, you know, fair's fair. I, I really can't just show what my children's rooms look like. I wondered what my room looked like. And uh, here is when I opened the door on Friday afternoon, what my room looked like, and the bed is made, uh, I noticed, but it's still kind of messy. You know, even those of us who go, yeah, I'm, I'm really put together, apparently, you know, we're going to do some ironing, and uh, there's, some, there's some garments we went, yeah, that's not good enough for uh, today, uh, as far as that goes, and everybody's got some messy. Do you love the messy people in your house? Do you love the messy people in your family? Do you love the messy people that God has placed around you? Uh, ladies, if I, if I, if I may, on, on Mother's Day, part of the challenge is this. I, it seems like God has uniquely gifted you to do hard things. And one of those hard things is to love people who don't always have their stuff put together. Uh, continue to ask God to help you. And we continue to need that. We continue to all need to do that. But we continue to need you to oftentimes lead the way and serve us. Uh, so Jesus is about restoring this fractured family that is all people through all times. And he's going to begin with the people of Israel. And he's going to speak to us today. So what does it mean to be family? What, is, what do we need to do to participate with God in this? And number one is there is deep intentionality necessary to be family. Sometimes don't you just want to knock off the block of the people who are closest to you somehow? 
Genesis chapter 3. Some of you love watching murder mysteries and then, and then were astounded that these murder mysteries happened to be family taking one another out. Well, the very first murder was a brother taking out a sibling because he got sideways. You know, he, he felt second class. He felt overlooked. And so Cain offs Abel. Hmm. I'm going to plant a seed right now. We'll come back and water it. Are you being offended by people who are family? Or people that are part of the church family? Or people that God is taking, taking you to participate in their life somehow? I just, just want to say, hey, um, just get over yourself. It's, it's something that God's been speaking to me. Stop going for small wins. Sometimes the small win is, hey, this story is about me, or what about me, or am I getting, am I getting, my, it's like, stop it. Stop being self-centered. Stop with small agendas. Start being intentional to include other people that they can participate in family. That's what the women in the genealogical list of Jesus were doing. We'll come back to it. So when thinking about moms and sons, uh, Forrest Gump comes to mind. I like Forrest. And uh, Forrest said, my mama always said, life's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Um, Jesus has a conversation that surrounds family. So he's teaching, and his mom shows up, and his brothers show up, and someone says, uh, hey, Jesus, you got, you got your family right outside, and Jesus says, uh, who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And he points to his disciples, and says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that's my mother and my sister and my brothers. It, you know, in, in the moment, you would have thought Jesus could have said, oh yeah, oh great. Um, hey, tell him, I'll be a minute. I got a thing going on right now. But he goes into this, into this, into this, woo, this, this moment that says, you know, family is so much broader than bloodline. And I want you to know that those of you, Jesus says, that are in this room, that you're committing your lives to follow and pursue the ways of God as I am declaring, you are my deep family. Family is a generous term for Jesus. It's beyond bloodline. So Forrest loved his mama, and his mama loved Forrest, if you're familiar with that story. But Forrest didn't, didn't just stop family there. Forrest had a friend named Bubba. And they, they were like family. They, they served alongside one another. They worked hard. They loved each other through thick and thin. Maybe there's someone like a, like a Bubba in your life that you have somebody that just is like a brother, like a sister, just tight with, and you serve alongside them. Uh, Forrest had another friend. I always call him Captain Dan, but he's Lieutenant Dan. I give him a, a promotion. Uh, but But... Lieutenant Dan was incredibly positive and can do until some bad things happened to him. And when some bad things happened to him and Forrest was there to see him through it, then Lieutenant Dan spiraled into depression and spiraled into anger. 
And if it weren't for Forrest just sticking with him, well, Lieutenant Zan's life winds up being transformed because of the work of God and Forrest in that story. And Forrest had a friend named Jenny. They were like peas and carrots. They just always went together. And Jenny seemed to be a little elusive in Forrest's life. She would kind of come and go because she had things from her past that just haunted her. She had things that just didn't let her be settled. Yet Forrest and her weren't just like family. They would become family. And uh, it's the kind of thing that Jesus is saying through individuals like Ruth and Tamar and Rahab and Bathsheba that there's deep intentionality in being family towards one another. Second dynamic is it takes deep reconciliation to be family. So here's the question. Who? Who is it that the Spirit of God may well be speaking to you is someone that you need to forgive them? That you, you, you've been small, You've been, you've been easily wounded and you just need to get over yourself. I'm not talking about the big stuff. I'm talking about, this, I'm talking about the things that, you know, five years from now, who cares? It just doesn't even matter. Uh, maybe you just need to show up. Maybe your attitude needs to just be put aside and you need to show up and shut up. Maybe there is something you need to speak up about, but you speak up in regards to encouragement. You speak up in regards to life-giving thoughts and, and comments. And it doesn't matter if that individual is from, you know, the wrong tribe. A Canaan woman from that vicinity comes to Jesus while he's out teaching entire and Sidon, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. By the way, when, when it says a Canaanite woman, this is the Hebrew Israelite mind right here. And so even though we're about midway through the gospel of Matthew, they're going to link it right back to the, those first verses in Matthew. Go, Oh yeah, Canaanite woman. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned Rahab and you mentioned uh, Tamar before. Boom, boom, gotcha. Boom, boom. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work like that for them. Have mercy on me. My daughter is possessed and is suffering terribly. So Jesus doesn't answer the girl. He, 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 and Jesus hardly, just like, this is a very rare occasion where Jesus treats somebody that seems, whew, he's really harsh on her. And his disciples begin to speak up and go, Jesus, she just keeps after, would you do something with her? Like, even if you don't help her, just send her away. And then Jesus does this thing where he says, uh, well, you know, it's not right, uh, to take the children's bread and just toss it to the dogs. That's how it gets translated. But he uses the term like little puppies. And so we don't know if he's using some term of the day or what he's up to. But she, whatever it is, she jumps in. He's like, whoa, Jesus doesn't treat people like that. And she goes, oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. Yes, Lord. But, but you know, even from the master's table, you always give your puppies some scraps. You always feed your puppies from the table. Just a little bit before this, there was a Roman guard in the story of Matthew. And he had come up to Jesus and said, uh, hey, I've got a servant that needs to be healed. And Jesus goes, yeah, let, come on, let's go. Let's go do that. So it's a, it's a Gentile person. It's a, and, he, and the Roman, gu Roman guard says, oh, no, 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 no. You know, I'm in charge of people. I know what it means to have authority. You can just speak the word and it can be well. And Jesus said, I have never seen such faith. And then this woman, in a likewise capacity, Jesus says to her, woman, and it's dear woman, 
You have great faith. Your request is granted. And right in that moment, her daughter was healed. I want to ask you the question. Who in your family needs to be healed? Who in your family needs to be healed? And know that God is a God that rescues people and restores them. And when we are part of God's family, to have great intention to get after it for ourselves and for those that we love and God loves. Are you in the way of someone not having a good relationship with you? And is that somehow getting in the way of them having a relationship with the Lord God Almighty? Let's stand to our feet and let's pray together. And here's how good the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit has already told you somebody. The Holy Spirit has already spoken to you somebody. Oh yeah, that's a person. The Holy Spirit's already spoken to you exactly what to do. So right now as we pray, you just pray for that person and pray for what God told you to do. And maybe there's someone here that what you need to do is have God rescue you. God, forgive me. I want to follow you and be part of your family. You just pray that home and accept Christ right now in your life. Lord God, thank you for everybody who's gathered in this moment. Lord, thank you that we get to be in this space and in this place, Lord, that we are not going to miss what your Holy Spirit desires to do. So we open ourselves up to receive even more of you. Lord, in this moment, at this time, as you're telling us who this special person is, they're kind of messy, but you love them deeply. And Lord, with intention and reconciliation, Lord, that that you are giving us the right ways in which we need to step towards them, the right methodology in which we need to to have a right relationship and seek forgiveness ourselves, Lord. So help us know what you are doing and guide us. Lord, for those in this moment who are saying yes to you, saying, God, forgive me, I want to follow you, Lord. Thank you that they are part of the family of God. And thank you, Lord, for how you work in our midst and in our lives. In your mighty name and all God's people, let's say it together, would say amen.